Come to the Gospels and Mark is the second one. And we're looking at Mark chapter 6 tonight, verses 1 through to 6, as we continue in our series on the life of Jesus in Mark's Gospel. So before we look at this, let us pray. Father, we ask again tonight that your spirit would be our teacher. Lord, we are thankful for your word, and it is a word which indeed is a living word, a word that not only uh, has much to say to us in terms of how we live, but indeed it is the life-giving word through Jesus Christ because it tells us about him and how to have life in his name. Lord, tonight we pray that uh, this time around your word together will be uh, of great benefit to us. That, Lord, that we would submit our will, our, our, uh, our desires, um, Lord, our, uh, our um, I guess, our fleshly ways of thinking, Lord, that we might just submit them tonight instead to you and, Lord, be directed by you in how you would uh, help us to understand this passage and what it means for us in our lives today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You ever come across some, you know, things in your life which uh, you sort of, you, th- things sort of happen and you just kind of just shake your head in amazement? You know, I was driving the, uh, the other day, driving uh, to get the kids from school and uh, this person, P-plate driver, and, uh, and believe me, it's not just P-plate drivers that do this, but you know, we're in three lanes of traffic and, uh, and he goes from the left-hand lane through about, I don't know, I don't know how on earth he got through this gap between these cars in the middle lane to the right-hand lane and then slammed his brake on to do a right-hand turn. It just, you just shake your head in disbelief, in absolute amazement. You know, you really do. One of the things which uh, I'd sort of put on tonight, there are just some things, some pictures I've put up here, which again, just sh- make you shake your head in disbelief. I mean, this is one that's been going around on Facebook this week. Um, I'll just let the picture speak for itself, okay? All right, so this person's got a uh, quad bike on the back of his ute. He's anchored it, but he's anchored it through the wheel of the four-wheel drive. Yes. So you could tell him, or you could just sit back and enjoy the show. <laughs> mm. Or, of course, there's people like this, who's trying to put his, uh, or trying to put a piece of wood into one of those, one of those really big chopper things that just obliterate wood into this really uh, fine kind of sawdust. Yeah, not a good idea to be putting your foot in there, I would think, at that particular, at that, at that point in time. And again, there's people like this. Hmm. <laughs> You really got to wonder what was going through his head, don't you? Hey? Yeah. Yep. And then people like this. I saw one a bit similar to that this week where a couple of guys were sort of standing on a ladder that was sort of anchored out from a balcony. It had two guys on the ladder and one guy standing on the end of the ladder suspended in midair trying to fix an air conditioner like that. I couldn't find the picture for that tonight. But anyway, not to worry. Some things just really amaze us and we shake our heads in disbelief. And in our passage tonight, we have got a, a similar kind of situation where Jesus has come to his hometown and there is something that truly amazes Jesus. He just shakes his head in absolute disbelief. So we're going to look at Mark chapter 6, verses 1 to 6. I'm going to read it to you and if uh, you'd like, you can just follow along, just hear, what I, uh, just hear the words that, uh, that I read to you tonight. It says that Jesus, he, he went away from there, and that is where he was. He was on the, uh, he'd been on the, um, the, uh, the um, um, shores of Galilee. He went away from there, and he comes to his hometown. And his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, 
And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Isn't it, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offence at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honour except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marvelled. He was astounded, amazed because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villagers teaching. Did you see it? Did you see what caused Jesus amazement? And what he shook his head at in his hometown of Nazareth? It was their unbelief. It was the people's unbelief. Nazareth. We've got a bit of a map here of Israel. And here's the Mediterranean Sea here. So Nazareth is just here on the map, just north of... So uh, down the bottom down here is uh, Jerusalem, and it's north of Jerusalem, up near the, uh, this is the Sea of Galilee here. So it's just towards be in between the Sea of Galilee and the coast. That was Jesus' hometown. That was where he was raised. He was born in Bethlehem, but raised in Nazareth. And it's the second time that Jesus has actually spent time in his hometown for, in, his, uh, in his public ministry. He began his public ministry. We read in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, that Jesus, as he began his ministry, he went into the synagogue there and he preached from, the, um, from Isaiah, chapter 61. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is, is upon me, and so forth. And, uh, and after he said that, the people took great offence at him and they tried to actually take him out of the town and throw him off a cliff. They were that impressed by him. All right, this is the second time that Jesus has now come back to Nazareth. You would think from the first time he would have just written them off. But no, Jesus is showing grace and patience to the people of his hometown. And he comes back there this time accompanied by his disciples. Now, Nazareth is this, this small country town in Galilee. Okay? It's a, a town that's really not very much known for anything. In fact, a number of uh, Jews in the south really look down on the north. Okay? A little bit maybe like the, the, you know, the Cross River rivalry that we've got here in Brisbane, the people on the north side versus the people on the south side, or a thing, you know, New South Wales and Queensland, that sort of thing, okay? that kind of rivalry. But people, they didn't really think that Nazareth was, was a great place to sort of put on your resume to come from. All right, and uh, and um, if you read in John's Gospel, chapter one, when uh, when um, we see that uh, that uh, Peter and uh, and Andrew have met uh, have met um, Jesus, or Andrew has met Jesus, and he comes and tells Peter, and also we read that uh, um, one of the other disciples comes and tells his brother Nathaniel. And, uh, and he says, look, come and see. We, we think we've found the Messiah. And, uh, and he's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel says to him, he says, can anything good really come from Nazareth? You know, can anyone really worthwhile come from a, come, come from a town like that? That's the kind of, play, that's the kind of the, the attitude that people had towards Nazareth. All right, so this is where Jesus is from. And, uh, and we're told that, uh, that as, he, uh, as he goes there and uh, as he comes to the, uh, to the town of Nazareth, he goes into the synagogue and, uh, on the Sabbath and he begins to teach. And many who heard him were astonished. They were absolutely astonished and amazed at his teaching 
at his wisdom and at his miracles. Now, it's most likely they'd heard about Jesus' miracles. You know, if we go back in Mark's Gospel just to the passage before chapter 6, we read about how Jesus healed the, uh, the woman who had, who had a, uh, a health issue relating to that had been going on for 12 years and also Jairus' daughter who he had actually uh, raised from, you know, from, from the dead, had brought her back to life. So people have been hearing what Jesus was doing. They were, and they were astonished and amazed that this man was amongst them at this time. Now, when we look at the Gospels, we see that there is an incredible amount of, of different responses recorded for us in terms, of, in terms of people's response to Jesus. An incredible amount of different responses. The, the Gospels speak of, you know, particularly in his early ministry, how people were amazed about Jesus and, uh, and his ministry. And uh, you can read through you know, some of the Gospels yourself and, and, and read all about those kind of stories. But when it comes to, uh, you know, to Jesus, even today, a lot of people have an opinion about Jesus and who he is. They have a, a particular response to Jesus. All right? And uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to have a look at a quick video, just, uh, as a, um, just a, a bit of a, a vox pop that are done in the streets of Sydney and uh, asking people what they think about Jesus. Thanks, Peter. I don't know who Jesus was actually. Jesus was the son of God. Oh yeah, so high Maliatia. Marcus was a guy who was a bit overly exaggerated for his powers. I think Jesus was just possibly a hoax. <laughs> like a god that created by humans so that people will live with peace. They have like a religion and a god. I think it's a kind of a myth like the Greek when I think of Jesus, I think of sandals, probably someone a bit Jewish, crusty beard. Um, can't say I know much about the guy. I think this Jesus figure was probably a just a normal person who stood out from the crowd. Kinds of God, right? Who made the uh, like people? Isn't Jesus like something that we celebrate? Isn't it like oh, Christmas or Easter or Hanukkah or? Chris McCarr or something like that. I think that he was more of a like a way of showing us how we should live, of how like how we should do things. Yeah, I'm sure he told a lot of stories and had good intentions, but I don't know about what they make out of him sometimes. He lived 2,000 years ago or something, and he died at a cross. I think Jesus was just a a man. I don't think he was son of God. I just think that he was a a man that was pretty powerful. I think Jesus was an extraordinary man. I think Jesus was um, like a miracle worker, um, good teacher, uh, depending on your religious persuasion. Well, I'm a Christian, so I reckon he's God's son. He was a cool guy. Jesus was a cool man. I know people that would say that he's God, and that, yeah, I, I don't know. As you can see, lots of different responses there to who Jesus is. But, uh, I've never heard of Chrismica. Yes, there you go. You know, like I said, different, people's different responses to Jesus. And we might have you know, a, a number of different responses to who Jesus is here in our congregation tonight. But uh, what we're finding is, is, is the people's response to Jesus here in his hometown in his day. Okay, this is what this particular passage is all about. And, uh, and, you know, when it comes you know, to us today, we think, you know, there are people who, who think that Jesus was this great kind of religious teacher or a kind of like a prophet kind of person, a bit in the, the, the mould of Buddha or Muhammad or, that, or, or those kind of people. 
And some even people, some people even think that he had, you know, maybe some good moral teachings. And so, you know, in that regard, it's it's nice to sort of follow him. But but he certainly doesn't have any kind of authority. We don't really need to have to, don't really need to obey him because you know we can just take just just take him as as uh, as it comes to us and how we feel like it. In this passage tonight, we notice that Jesus' audience, they show astonishment, first of all, to his teaching. Okay, They're amazed at his teaching. They're amazed at his wisdom. And they're amazed at his miracles. Okay, There's this, there's this, there's this real kind of um, uh, connection there with the people in terms of, 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 of Jesus' abilities, if you like. Okay? But what we then go to see is that they, they ask these questions. They said, you know, where does this man get these things? You know, what's the wisdom given to him? You know, how are such mighty works done by his hands? In other words, they're kind of looking, trying to look behind Jesus to the origin of these things. Where does Jesus get this stuff from? You know, it just, uh, they're just really wanting to, to, to know, sort of get behind things and, and understand, you know, a little bit about Jesus, but where he's getting these sort of things from. And, uh, and, and uh, when it comes to it... In a way, we can be like that too. People can, in, in our day can be like that too. You know, they sort of, have, sort of know about Jesus. And like in our, in, our, um, in our video tonight, you know, people are sort of saying, yeah, he was, a, you know, he was a bit of a religious teacher. He was just a, a man you know, who was sort of kind of well-known in his day and that sort of stuff. And, uh, and we can sort of know bits and pieces about him. But we need to have a whole picture of Jesus. And this is unfortunately what his um, people in his hometown just did not have. And the thing that was preventing them from having that real picture of Jesus was their familiarity with Jesus. Okay, They were over-familiar with him. Because they go on to say, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? In other words, we know this fellow. We know his family. We've watched him grow up in Nazareth as, you know, as a boy, growing into, growing into manhood. We know who Jesus is. The people make their assessment based on this common knowledge. Okay? He was a carpenter. He, uh, you know, he, had this, this, you know, he grew up in, in this particular street, in this particular house you know, in, in Nazareth. And he, uh, you know, he's, he's just one of us. And what happens is that this then leads them to take offence. I don't know about you, but I just get completely blown away by the fact that within two verses, they go from astonishment and amazement to offence. You see that in the passage? They're astonished and amazed in one instance, but then all of a sudden when they think about Jesus and they think, no, that can't be right, he's one of us. Their familiarity with Jesus and his family leads to contempt for Jesus. It's like they're saying to Jesus, look, mate, we know who you are. You know, we know, we've, we've watched you grow up here in this village. You're a tradie, for goodness sake. You're one of us. How dare you think then that you're better than us? That's the kind of you know, impression that we pick up from this passage and, and the people's response to Jesus, this familiarity with him. And what happens is it leads Jesus to comment in, uh, in, um, in verse 4, and he says, A prophet is not without honour, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. Jesus is saying it's hard to look beyond what is familiar to see that which is really important and special and significant. And I think the same can be said for us today. You know, as we, uh, as we live our lives today, and particularly as we come along to church, for instance... You know, we can be we can have attended church for you know for quite a long period of time. 
And we can come along to church each Sunday and we can become very, very familiar with what goes on. You know, we can, we can sing the same songs. You know, we can sing all these lovely songs, but after a while, they kind of just lose that, that, that kind of meaning behind them and, and, and it just becomes, then we're just singing words. Have you ever found that? That it just becomes just singing words? Well, what about, you know, participating in communion? A little bit later on, we're going to be sharing around the communion table. You know, we, we come along and we, we participate in communion, but when you've done it so often, it can just lose its specialness, its significance. It can become so familiar to us that we miss the real significance of what it means. And that's why you know, we sort of try not to have communion on a too regular basis because it can rob us of that. But at the same time, we want to have it regularly because Jesus says you know, that we should do that. As, as, as brothers and sisters, and Lord, we need to come around and be reminded again of his sacrifice for us. What about prayer? You know, we pray a lot. But prayer too, when you've done it so often, can just become a ritualistic exercise. It's just words you say. Even when it comes to hearing the Bible preached and taught, we can become so familiar with it that we can have this kind of like blasé attitude to it. And think, oh yeah, I've heard this. Heard this preached on before. I can switch off now and I can, I don't know, maybe read something else or perhaps plan what I'm going to do tomorrow. We can just have this real kind of familiarity that we just lose the specialness. We, we get this contempt towards these things which are so familiar to us. And I guess the question then we need to ask ourselves tonight is this, is, is what is it that we ourselves actually show contempt for because of our familiarity when it comes to our faith? What are the things that we can often just fall into that, that over-familiar thing, you know, that over-familiar kind of thing with, with the things of our faith to a point where they're just, they're just stuff we do, just stuff we go through. You know, it's just words we say or it's just songs we sing or it's just, you know, this... There's no specialness. There's no real heart sort of engagement in it. I think of, you know, perhaps things like a quiet time, for instance. Some of you will be familiar with that. You know, spending time with God each day, reading his word, allowing God to speak to us through his word. You know, there are people in our world today who do not have the word of God in their own language. And they would, they, honestly, they would give their arms and their legs, you know, in order to have a copy of the word of God in their own language. And I sit here, I stand here and I think, you know what, I've got maybe 15 different versions of the Bible up in my office up there. And I think, you know, we can just take the word of God for granted, that we have access to it and how special that is. I was told actually of a, um, a, group, a, uh, people, a group of people in China, a group of Christians in China who actually had received one page of the Bible in their own language. And as a group they met together and they would just constantly go over this page of the Bible time and time and time again. That, that's all they had and they would just delight in being able to have that word of God to be able to meet around and be able to just take in what God is saying to them through, that, through, that, through those words. How often do we kind of have that kind of approach to the word of God that we just got a, such a, a hunger and a thirst and a passion for it? I think we lose it because of this familiarity. 
and this access that we have. Same can be said about personal holiness. God has called us to live holy lives through the power, obviously, of his spirit working within us. God has called us into his family to be a part of a a new community of faith. People who who live out the the truth and reality of, of a relationship with God in our lives. God calls us to live holy lives, lives which, which reflect his holiness and his goodness. Now, admittedly, we can't do that on our own. We need to rely on the spirit of, of God within us to, to, to produce those works in us. But yet, how often do we, do we just take it for granted that we're, we're in God's family and we can just go about living our lives as we please? I know I'm guilty. I'm guilty of it all the time. Become so familiar with it that we just lose that significance and that specialness of it. It's interesting here that uh, that when we see Jesus's response to to the to the people and their unbelief, it says in verse five that he could do no mighty work there except that he he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Well, I think that's pretty mighty in itself. But it's basically saying in this passage that because of the people's unbelief, all right, Jesus himself was kind of limited. Now, it wasn't means his, his abilities were limited, but he was limited in terms of, of, of the people just had closed their minds and their hearts to him. Because of their familiarity, they closed their minds and their hearts. And so, you know, whatever works Jesus did, it was just not going to make any difference. Their people's hearts were hardened. Their minds were made up. They refused to believe. And that's what amazed Jesus. That here he was, the son of God in human flesh, having lived his life among these people, having grown up and, 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 and ended into this public ministry, which he would have that he would proclaim the kingdom of God. And you would think, boy, these people, they've got a ringside seat, haven't they, to, to Jesus and, and his ministry? You know, they've, they've got this really great connection with Jesus because of their, their, their background with him in their hometown. And instead, they get offended by him. And they choose not to believe. And, it, and Jesus, he just shakes his head in disbelief. He's amazed. One of the things which... Uh, which just really strikes me that this passage is, is, is how these people missed out. They missed out so much on the blessing that Jesus could have brought to that, to that community, that group of people. Now, Jesus' ministry was about proclaiming the kingdom of God. He was helping people to understand how they could enter into a new relationship with God, a relationship that placed them in a right standing with him and to be a part of his kingdom, to know with an absolute guarantee of, uh, uh, and, and certainty that they belong to him and his, and his family. That they were, they were able to, to have access into the kingdom of God and, and, to, and to be partakers of all of the blessings that come through having faith in Jesus Christ and being a part of his kingdom. These people had that right at their fingertips. It was available to them. It's, it's kind of like you know, having all of, the rich, you know, all of these riches before. It's like someone comes in here and he you know, got a, a check for $10 million dollars. 
Right? I know this is a really, really poor analogy, so please forgive, forgive me for it, all right? Okay? All right? And he places it on the, on the, on the, on the, on the, the, the desk here, on the, on the pulpit here, and he says, you know what? There it is, $10 million. All you need to do is come up here and take it. That's all you've got to do. And everyone sits and they think, oh, should I or shouldn't I? Jesus' kingdom is far greater than any money, any monetary value in this world today to be part of the kingdom of God. This was right in the very grasp of these people and they turned their nose up at it. They, they, they turned their nose up at Jesus and said, we're not interested. We are not interested. And as a consequence, Jesus went away from there. It says in verse 6, and he went among the villages, the other villages around the place, teaching instead. I wonder with us, how much blessing do we miss out on because of our unbelief and our lack of faith in Jesus today in our lives? Now, you might be sitting here tonight and, and this, this stuff might be completely new to you. Thinking, I've never kind of heard this before about Jesus. Never kind of really uh, understood who he truly is. That he is indeed the son of God in human flesh. Who came to this earth to tell us about God's love for us. But then specifically to die on a cross, to take all of our, all of the, our sins upon himself. And to die as the punishment for our sin. To take God's rightful wrath, his, his rightful judgment upon himself for us, for our sin. And to die in our place. And then to, be, and then to rise from the dead, defeating sin, the power of sin and death. And then being able to offer to us life, real life in his name. You might not have heard that before. It might be the first time you're hearing that tonight. You see... When it comes to faith in Jesus, when it comes to having a relationship with God, it's not about what we do. It's not about works. If you want to know all about that, you can get the message from this morning, all right? We spoke a lot about faith and works this morning in the message. It's not about what we do. We, can't, we can never earn God's favour. We can never, ever be certain that we've, 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 hit, we've measured up to God's mark. But what God said, says to us instead is that what I want you to do is I want you to put your faith and trust in Jesus as a saviour. Your sin puts you in opposition to me, God says. And therefore we cannot have a relationship with one another. But what God has done is he's put Jesus in the middle and says, you know what, Jesus has paid for your sin. He's borne all the punishment of your sin on himself. And if you put your trust in him and you, and you give your life to him and say, you know what, Jesus, I know I need you. I want to follow you. Then you can enter into a completely new relationship with God and your sins are paid for in Jesus. Simple as that. It's like the check sitting here on the desk. But yet people choose still to reject him. And we as Christians today, people who have put our faith and trust in Jesus, part of the, our growth, our spiritual growth, is, is journeying with Jesus and putting our trust and our faith in him more and more each day. And when we choose not to do that, we're the ones who miss out. 
We're the ones who miss out on the blessing. Now, God takes unbelief very, very seriously. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12 says this, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Jesus says, sorry, God takes unbelief very, very seriously. We read in John chapter 3 and verse 18, Whoever believes in him, that is Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe in Jesus is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. There's the dividing line. Jesus is the dividing line. And either you believe in Jesus and you trust in him and you escape God's judgment or you choose to reject Jesus and walk away from him and have to accept God's judgment on yourself. And that has eternal consequences. This particular account here in, uh, in the Gospel, in Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, you know, it's, 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 it's an event, an account that happens in first century Jerusalem. Sorry, in first century Nazareth. First century Israel. But it's something which is repeated time and time and time again today in our own culture. In our 21st century society, where people are confronted with Jesus and they have to make a decision as to who he is. And they can either choose to accept him or they can choose to reject him. But let's make sure that we, you know, that we actually have our facts and everything right about Jesus first before we actually make that, before we make that decision, eh? Let's not just take other people's word for it, but let's actually know for certain ourselves who Jesus is. And the only way we can find out that is through the, God, through the word of God, through the Bible. Because it's a story all about God's dealings with mankind culminating in Jesus Christ. could go on tonight and talk a whole lot about uh, this aspect of rejection, how Jesus is rejected and how, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, will be rejected too. But I'm not going to go into it. I just want to leave, leave us at the moment there at that particular point, okay, in terms of where we stand with Jesus right now. Who do we think Jesus is? And if you're a person who hasn't considered that before, then tonight's a great opportunity to do that. And if you want to know more, then you can talk to me after the service. But for those of you who know Jesus, who kind of have been in church, have, you know, have been exposed to church and stuff, you know, religious stuff throughout your life, how has that familiarity actually affected, or how does it affect you now, today, in your own faith and in your own trust in God? Have you become over-familiar with things that you kind of, you know, sort of treat things with this, with this kind of blasé kind of attitude, this, this contempt, for want of a better word? Maybe God wants to challenge you tonight in your own heart and say, you know what, it's time you stop playing games with me. It's time actually sort of, you know, got serious about who I am and what that means for your life. Because God is the creator of the universe. God is the one who sustains life. And God is the one who gives life. And how our whole lives, our whole lives, both here for now and eternity, all hinge on who we see God as 
who we see Jesus as and how we live in relationship to him. So let's not, you know, fall into that trap of being very, you know, so familiar with, with the things of faith that, we, we, that it's kind of lost its specialness. Maybe tonight we've got to come before God and we've got to confess that before him, before him and say, God, you know what? I need you to again impress upon my heart just how wonderful the grace it is that I've received in Jesus tonight. What a wonderful and incredible blessing it is to know you and to be known by you and to live in a relationship with you. Sadly, I see today the church is in a state where we've got so many people that fill our pews on a Sunday who just have lost that, 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 that wonder and that awe and that, that, uh, that, that wonderful picture of who God is and what he's blessed us with in Jesus Christ. We've lost that and we need to get it back. We so desperately need to get that back. I'm going to come now to a time of, uh, of sharing around the communion table. And uh, you know, these elements we're going to share tonight are very, very simple elements. There's some bread and some grape juice. That's all they are. There's nothing magical about them. They don't sort of change or anything like that into some kind of magical kind of things that, that are going to make you super spiritual or anything like that. But what they are are reminders. They're reminders of Jesus and what he's done for us. The sacrifice that he himself has, has made on our behalf for each and every one of us. The bread speaks of his body given for us. He's, you know, when Jesus, when Jesus you know, before, he became, before he came to earth, he lived in perfect relationship with God the Father and God the Spirit there in heaven. Without a body. And yet he took on mortal flesh in order to come to this earth. He, he chose to limit himself and his glory to come to meet the needs of needy people like you and me. That's what the bread speaks about. The grape juice speaks about the blood that Jesus shed, his life poured out for us so that our sins could be forgiven and that we could be cleansed and be brought into a new and living relationship with God. That's what the grape juice speaks about. Very simple, very simple elements, but profound, so profound in what, they, in what they speak of. So tonight I want you just to just take these, these next few minutes just to come before God and, and maybe just ask him, you know, are there areas in your life where you have become so over-familiar that you have just lost that awe? And ask for God to, to, to fan that flame in your heart again. The fan it, fan it back into life. If you're someone who you know is here tonight and you, you've not really considered who Jesus is, the fact that you know God calls us, that the only way that we can have a relationship with God is to actually through, you know through faith in Him, through trusting in Him. And maybe tonight, you know, God has got you here for a purpose. God is actually personally talking to you right now and saying you need to do this you can use this time as a time to reflect upon that what Jesus has done for you so I'm going to ask the stewards to come forward and we're going to hand out the elements I want you to partake of the bread there's, um, there's uh, normal bread in the bowls there's um, some gluten free bread if you're gluten free in, uh, in the cups on the trays I want you to take some of the bread and I want you just to, uh, just to, to give thanks to God for his goodness to us and to eat of the bread 
But then we're going to, uh, we're going to just uh, hold the cup. So take a cup of grape juice. We're going to hold it together. And then we're all going to drink together in unity tonight. Okay? All right. So well, let me pray. Our Father and our God, as we come around this communion table this evening, I want to give you thanks again for this opportunity to be reminded of your goodness to us through Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he has made on our behalf. We want to pray, Lord, tonight that, uh, that as we partake of these elements that you would remind us again of, of your in deep and, and, and amazing grace and love towards us in Jesus. But also remind us again that, you know, sin is serious and unbelief is serious because Jesus had to die in order for our sins to be paid for. That's how, that's how seriously you treat our sin and our unbelief. So we pray tonight that you would, you would convict us of, our, of that in our hearts. Help us to come before Jesus tonight, to confess it before him and find that, that forgiveness that comes only in his name and the freedom that comes with forgiveness as well. Lord, may this be a, a time tonight that maybe for some of us might just be a time to rekindle that relationship with you again. And I pray, Lord, that you would just again fan into, fan into flame that, 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 that fire in our hearts for you that it might burn bright and strong for you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys.